Hey, Queeros, just wanted to invite you to see myself and my wife, Rhea Butcher, you remember her from episode one, on our big fall tour. We are playing Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, San Diego, Phoenix, Dallas, Austin, Houston, and we are figuring out what to do about that show right now. Um, We think we will probably end up turning it into a benefit because we don't want to cancel New Orleans, Atlanta, Carborough, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Brooklyn, Cleveland, Pontiac, Michigan, Minneapolis, Chicago, Madison. We are also playing Portland, Maine, Boston, Providence, and I am playing Denver. So all of those cities, I can't wait to meet you. Please come out and see us. Um, Tickets are available at CameronEsposito.com. That is my website. And thank you so much. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Hey there, Queeros. Cameron here. Uh, First of all, I just want to thank you for coming back to another episode of the show. Today's episode, Casey Lai, I think you are going to love Casey. We had a fantastic conversation. He's a great stand-up comic, and he has a lot to share about um, his personal journey in being fully out about a lot of aspects of his life on stage. I love this chat. I also just want to take a moment right now and apologize. Uh, On last week's episode with Stephanie Beatrice, at the end, um, Steph sort of mentioned a friend of hers who had come out as trans and used the person's old name. Um, And... You know, Steph and I both through Twitter um, and your polite, engaged feedback, which is what I always ask for, um, to protect my guests as much as anything and just to continue to make sure that people feel comfortable being honest on this show. Um, You know, we found out some more information about just how painful it can be to um, use a trans person's name, even if you know it from before they transitioned. Um, And... So we're not going to put that on the cast. We're going to take that off of last week's episode. And I just wanted to say that you're a great community. It's great to learn things. And it's really nice when you learn things in a way that feels open and respectful. um, Because I just want to make sure people always feel safe on all sides of this podcast. Eh, As best as I can. I'm just a person. Thanks, guys. This is like the most punk rock thing I have seen in a while. You drove in from San Francisco directly to the studio. Directly for you. I came down. I sped down 90 miles an hour. And I'm not going to lie, in a rickety car. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. There's like, no, look, I don't want to put added drama onto it or up the punk level of just like driving down the five. That's punk, but not like that punk. No, Um, I mean, you're, I think that sounds fucking bonkers like thank you for doing that I'm for so, me I'm, I'm happy to be here and thank you for having me um and i uh 
Um, I actually make the trip a lot because I was in San Francisco for years. And so San Francisco is an easy place to get back to to do shows. I actually went up to wine country to do shows up there Ooh. and had some awesome L.A. comics come with me, Ooh. melt their faces with wine tasting. Okay. I wasn't sure where that, where the... <laughs> well, we melted the Healdsburg people's, the population's faces with comedy. Got it. And then we melted our faces with wine tasting. And yet you're still here. And yet so I still got great here. Job. Yeah. I didn't like wine tasting, get in the car and drive. And you know, the other... Right. Thank you for not... Yes. Thank you for not... Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the one, a wonderful feature of this podcast is that I have guests introduce themselves. Great. So would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Casey Lai, um, and I am a gay man comic in Los Angeles down here... Um, for a couple of years and doing um, a lot of stand-up, uh, a bunch of writing, and some podcasting myself. Um, and that's kind of, that's that's the gist of it right now. I love that. It's really fun to hear what people say about themselves. Yeah. So I love it. What do you, what kind of writing are you doing? Well, I'm writing a lot of personal stuff and then I'm trying to like push that out towards like creating your own content. Uh-huh. You know? I know so, what you mean. I know um, what content is. You know what it's like being a gay, queer, comic individual in Los Angeles and Hollywood. There is a lot of, we love what you do. <laughs> um, but what would be great is you, if you could show us what it is that you do <laughs> and how we're going to use that, that would be great. So I'm kind of in like that position right now. Stand up is an awesome, awesome, f- vibrant, fulfilling, um, nerve wracking career and medium to talk for um, for forever, you know, and get your ideas across. But it doesn't necessarily feel like a means um, a means to an end, a- an end in itself, you know. So so, and you kind of recognize that I'm still pretty new to Los Angeles, and like I had an idea of that, but. Um, it it's striking me a couple of years into. Well, it probably Angeles. did feel like it. I mean, I'm gonna I'm just gonna put words in your mouth. Do it. Uh, because I started in Chicago. Right. I also didn't start here. And when I started in Chicago, stand up felt like it was the end. I don't know what it's like in San Francisco. San Francisco, like maybe there's a little bit more awareness because LA is so close yeah. and people move down all the time. But I was like, oh man, you're like in it for love of the game, dude. Sure. And then you move down here and you realize like. Well, people are going to m- maybe open a door for me mm-hmm. into a place I didn't even ever think I'd have access to. Right. That's what it felt like for and me. And which is great about Los Angeles is that like the avenues open up in ways that you didn't think and you start doing things that you weren't um, considering even before. Right. And that's super cool. Um, and I will say just like kudos to you, like um, your seamless transition into the world of podcasting. Um <laughs> You're just you're you're. Uh, I think when you um, be, you're very good at it and you're very uh, you're a good um, interviewer already. And it's only been a couple of podcasts. And um, you have had like people who I consider gay heroes on, like Jill Soloway is a hero, and then a, like good friends, so Solomon Giorgio. And you're having the same like really um, um, well thought out conversation that's pulling a lot out of both of them. And so I don't. Did you ever think podcasting was going to be the next thing for you? You know. You know. Well, I will say. I have been dreaming about doing this thing that yeah. we're doing right now for a long time, but in by that I mean, you know, I think that there's something really, well, I don't think we have enough evident, whatever the fucking words are. We didn't get to do this before. Right. We didn't get to talk to each other. Right. That is not something that people thought there was a market for. And so because they didn't think there was a market for it, money wasn't put into it because they didn't think money would come back from it. So that's why there right. isn't 
a television show where two queer people sit down and just talk to each other. There isn't like the Charlie Rose of gay folks. But thank you, podcasting, because this can do it. Yeah. You know, I did have like, I mean, I've done things that have been like sort of like iterations of this. I had a I had a a column at the AV Club for a while where Uh I would just write about touring. But I would be writing about touring as a gay woman. And so like queer themes would come up all the time. And it was really fun to write that column. That being said, the comments, which, by the way, I wouldn't like look for right the av club because they are conscientious people would sometimes tell me about particularly awful ones <sighs> so that i could like stay safe right totally and that was the right thing for them to do and the internet's a nutty place and i mean putting yourself out there and um is uh f- from our position which is not like it's a it's we are um showing strength by putting ourselves out there but it is not from a position of strength in which we are putting ourselves out there fuck yes you that know? is such a good way to say and it and so we're we're opening ourselves up to this vulnerability which we are um we uh need to do and other people need f- us to do for them but it's hard and so one thing Anna, i actually let off uh, of my um bio um um is that i am hiv positive too which is like um a whole nother identity that I was never like prepared or like even thinking about dealing with. And so that on top of um, gay comic um, anxiety driven person (laughs) 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 has like added this whole new level down here, especially where, you know, again, everything like we were saying, you know, like there are, I don't even say that there are boxes that everyone kind of fits into because like that world has opened up a lot too. But like when you're kind of like, I don't want to say I'm the first HIV positive comic, um, but I will say that I am, I think the first one here, like taking a bunch of meetings and trying to get people to like put me on as me. And um, I think from one perspective, like I'm not the most, um, I'm not the most, as a gay man, uh, and we can get into this later, I have layered a lot of masculinity on myself over the years to kind of blend. And so as a result, I don't read as gay in a lot of ways. And so um, using a gay person who's very vocally gay in, in something who doesn't read so gay can be jarring for a mainstream audience, one. And then now someone who's like openly HIV positive, two. Um, that just kind of skews with people's perception of what it is that um, is possible. That might be my anxiety. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I look, I will. I don't think that's your anxiety. Yeah. I think that that is real. You know, there aren't. I'm pretty tapped into the comedy community mm-hmm. as you are. And I will say, have there been HIV positive comics? Absolutely. Have there been HIV comedy, HIV positive comics who were open about their status and talked about it right. in a way that was like a thing that could be talked about. Right. No, I don't really think there are. I mean, I think there's, I think there's um, something pretty unusual in the way that you're. Hey, we live in this time right now where the thing to do in comedy is to talk about your personal experience, right. not to talk about airplane food. You're supposed to talk about your unique worldview, not tell a unique joke about airplane food so you know you're this is the perfect moment for both of us to exist totally because the things that make us unusual are i mean this is like the worst world but it's fucking true like marketable like because you know then you're the only person that's you but I'm sure that's scary as hell. I mean, it, it must be scary. It's 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 less scary now, but it comes it, it, it hits me in ways that are um, um, uh, the, 
it's not like a traditional fear, like, oh, like this is like so nerve wracking, the idea of putting this out there. It's more of um, what am I actually doing with it and why am I doing it? It's there. It's more of this uncertainty. And what by doing it do I um, will can I reap? And again, I don't mean that monetarily. I mean, just in general, what is it that I can get back from this? And so, um, you know, and, and, and so I do I do HIV positive material and I think a bunch of it is very funny um, and because I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't funny. You know, it's comedy. It's jokes. It's stand up. It's supposed to be funny. Baseline stand up. Do jokes make people laugh? Yes, that's the right. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. goal. Yes, um, but, I buy in. I buy into but that. But you're bringing it. You're like you know, no matter where, you, you, no matter how I, I'd start it, no matter what I do, there's always a moment where there's a reaction from a large part of the audience, maybe all of the audience, from which I have to then uh, th- where they pull back from it again in a moment. It's in a moment of uncertainty. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't know how to react. They don't know if they're allowed to laugh at it. And then I have to like quickly snatch them and pull them into back into the world of this is a stand-up comedy show. Don't worry. This is going to be funny. And that's a struggle. I mean, it can be a struggle sometimes because some people are very resistant to it. The best that I can hope for is like a smattering of applause from people who think that I'm being brave. <laughs> well, that's actually kind of what I was talking about in the realm of scary because I think it, I was looking at it from like, oh, you're representing a large group of people, you know, which is always a thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing that that I feel, but more so if you're like the one voice speaking for this group. Um, and then on top of it, like anytime you bring up a taboo topic and HIV status is a taboo sure. topic, yeah. uh, you have to be so good at telling those jokes. Because, like, the audience freaks the fuck out. Yeah. That being said, if you can do it, it's also an amazing reward. It is. And that's, you know, so um, I wasn't talking. I've been positive for a long time. I've been positive since I was in my mid-20s. And I um, was a comic right around the same time. And I was already, like, I knew. So I, I knew from starting comedy that I was going to come out as gay from the get-go. Like, I never had a thought where I was going to just be a comic who talks about, um, let's say, airplane food, you know, or uh, even though I had some really solid airplane food jokes. Um, but uh, I, I and I but but I love be I love being gay. And I was at that point so in love with being gay. Um, and increasingly, I was just thinking about this on the ride down. I'm I'm so I think we're lucky to be gay even right now in this time, because in this time, our gay lens um, is is uh, it, it it's 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 more important <laughs> and it's like well, and i mean it, and how about this i mean it, i mean it this way because like without my gay identity um let's say without my gay identity i wouldn't i pr- likely wouldn't have picked up my hiv positive identity too and so having these things moving me further away from like the norm for because where i'm a new england middle class white boy and if I now was still that person and I was angry about the world, I would just be another angry, yelly, white man, and um, which is very in right now, <laughs> very in right now. But yeah. it's not. But it. But like. But my, I feel like our anger is um, is it has a, a deeper perspective and one that's based in um, history and community. Yeah, I also would say that. Yeah, sure. It's in in comedy, but um, just in general. And it's in in general. In general. But I also think that, like, as a, you know, I know how I feel about a lot of issues because I know otherness. Yeah. And I'm really glad I do. And that's. And if I didn't know otherness, I. 
I mean, I, number one, I wouldn't be the same person in any way. Yeah. I would just be, there's no way, if it was just totally chill Yeah. <laughs> to be like a woman with this haircut, if this was just totally chill, right. I think I would not. I don't think Empa- I would be it's a cool person. Empathy, it's empathy, it's empathy, it's empathy. And when you yeah. find people who lack, uh, when you find gay people who lack empathy, I'm like, there's what's twisted? What got what got <laughs> triggered in that? What got what, what got twisted or turned off in that brain along that path? Um, but uh, you, you were actually asking a question about um, about uh, my um, uh, get, getting into. I don't remember what it was. I, I kind of pulled this off, but I was talking about um, starting and coming out as gay early on because I wanted to, um, um, I just, while there weren't a ton of, there aren't a ton of gay male comics that I was looking up to, but there were lesbian comics and there were black comics and um, there was Eddie Izzard and there were these people who um, really, I could see were being themselves um, and being so honest about that and that was what I wanted to do. And so I knew it was going to be there, but I didn't come out as HIV positive because I didn't know how to make that funny. I hadn't reconciled it yet. Um, I hadn't told my parents yet. Like I hadn't, there was a long, there was a long process that I had to deal with, uh, personally to get to that point where I was ready to make it funny again. Um, and that has been, a long struggle, but when I did make the the turn and start doing um, the material, it took a big weight off my shoulders because I never felt like I was lying about anything. I just felt that I wasn't being totally honest about stuff, and there was always this guy on my shoulder being like, "You're not ever gonna be good enough." <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now that if I'm still here on your shoulder and not out there in the crowd, like I'm, you're never gonna be good enough. So I always knew it was gonna have to happen, but it was hard because then you are a publicly HIV positive person. And that is scary. What what happens? What's the what's the feeling that or what's the result? Like what have you experienced? I've experienced overwhelming um positivity. Um pun. And um th- th- m- my family is supportive. Um I have a wonderful partner. Um the comedy community is um, integral to my happiness in a lot of ways because while this was not an experience a lot of people shared, it was within the realm of experience that a lot of people in the comedic world have shared, you know, have experienced. Um, and that um, was such a great group of people to share with and to like learn from and to make, because comics are making, like, we are making way worse jokes off stage than we are on stage, you know, and we're pushing each other because we feel comfortable in that space to offend and to go dark and to go over the top. And um, to just be able to do that about myself from something that was so scary for so long was so empowering. And so when I did bring it to the stage, I knew the comics in the crowd were laughing the loudest and I and that was um, that's all I needed at that point, you know, was was my peers to support me. And then, you know, from that setting, um, then I could jump off. But it's it goes back and forth because um, I had some sets recently where I was feeling very stigmatized and very vulnerable and very unfunny as a result of it. And that's that point where it's like, why? Do, why? What is what is the need that I have now <laughs> to like to 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 do this material to get into people's brains but what I really want is them to laugh at me, with me, yes, for my well-being and success. No, we're not about HIV, just about in general. I want I want their laughter because that's how I get their validation, yeah. which is what I crave. Right. I mean, yes, and I also think. 
Well, number one, first of all, you're making me like want to immediately walk out of the studio and go do stand-up comedy. Because <laughs> like you're describing the part of it that's really fucking fun yeah, yeah, and yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And the clubhouse. And I, I don't really get that enough these days. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of like touring and, and um, I'm just, that sounds great. What you're talking about sounds so fucking fun what is and funny beautiful. Is all I want is what you have. Oh God! I mean, I'm like <laughs> all just. All I want is what you have. Oh God! Yeah. All I want is what you have. I yeah. want to make those comics laugh in the back of the room. Yeah. Jesus! And it's so fucking hard. I will say, you know, as a woman, that is like one of the hardest things to do in the world is to make dude comics laugh at you. Totally. Just fucking straight totally. up, because I know you will believe me. When I worked in Chicago. For fucking years, you know, trying to get those like stone faced assholes to just crack a smile. And you know what? It was really awesome. It, and it was so worth it when they would laugh. And you know what? Some of those jokes will never work with a real crowd. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but and so you learn to kind of like use those. But when you write a good one that like that cracks a, a, a comedy uh, crowd, then you know you really have uh, something special. And yeah. so, and that is so the validation getting from the, my peers who were doing what I was doing and them saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, that made me want to do it, do it, do it, do it. Absolutely. And that has, that has been awesome. But now, that I've been doing it for like the last almost two years. Um, this gets back to what I was talking about, about feeling like now I'm the gay HIV positive comic guy. And from that, I have to show them how to use me, which is a lot harder and more daunting than them being like, we know exactly what to do with you. But one of your past guests, Jill Soloway, who I absolutely adore, it was transparent that made me, you know, because that was coming out around the time that I was moving down here and having all sorts of those emotions. But to just see a, something so queer, honest, but relatable go up there um, and be so good, it it gave me this like solace to be like, OK, you really like it can be any story. It can be any story. Just make it a good story. And so, and that's, that's where, you know, day by day, I'm trying to make I'm also going to say something to you that like is going to come off like this advice from on high. And I want <laughs> you to know, I need to remind myself this every day too. So I wish to God that I was somebody that you could just plug into a show. Like, yeah. like every year, yeah. um, you know, for listeners, there's this thing called pilot season, which is like when everybody auditions for all the parts in every pilot that is then going to be shot. And then those pilots, some of them are going to be ordered to series. And then those things are what you're going to see on your television show. So there's like hundreds of jobs available every February during pilot season. And I don't go out for pilot season. Right. I never get called in. Right. And that's because nobody wrote this haircut into their <laughs> ABC family show. Like it just isn't there. Um, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, whatever you would imagine, like some person that you can think of being like, oh, yeah, that's no, that's totally right. Bethany or like whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, it's got to be like blonde person with symmetrical hair and long legs. Yeah. Like, they, Bethany. you know, yes. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, you and I might not go in for that. Yeah. We might not. Yeah. But one thing I can say is that. Those folks who get those jobs are often booked up and don't have the need to create their own material. And when you need to create your own material, then you get to own the show. Yeah. Like the show is yours and you get to write the words that come out of your mouth. Yeah. And those words are 
more fun to say because you know what they mean and you eventually get to make you know the money that co- that comes from making the thing so there's totally. there are two different paths and it's not like it sucks we all to have to make your path. own shit. It yeah. sucks yeah, to have yeah, to make yeah. your own shit. And 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 but 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 it but it does not. And I think that um, my like biggest gay issue um, is one with confidence. Like mm. I think um, from a super young age, I have um, never felt confident at all. And um, so for me, it's a lot of two steps forward, one steps back. Working my way through all of that through my adult life. And um, and. Uh, so even when it, even if it's going, even if it's like auditioning for anything, like there's a level where I'm just like never truly at ease myself. So I do see it as a challenge to like dual, dual wise, like, because there aren't any, there aren't, there isn't a role out there for me necessarily. There is, I'm, I can, I can rein it all in and I can play any role. I can rein it all in and I can play any role, but, Well, um, you don't have to rein anything in. You can be exactly who you are. You're very cute. You have cute hair. You can be in a lot of stuff. Thank you. Um, I was a little worried that it was, um, like going to be perceived as a neo-Nazi haircut, but it's actually not getting that. I think it's too short. I think it's too short too. And there's like a gay swoosh. Yeah. No, I'm seeing it for sure. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, but, uh, that by, by creating your own stuff, you're also, you're like, you don't have to, if it's good and you've done it well and you feel good about it, you can turn it in and then you don't have to audition for it. So like that takes away that level of like, uh, are they going to like me or not? Because it's like, also when you've written something like they read it and they don't tell, they don't, you can't see the reaction on their face as you're acting in front of them. And they're like, in their head, they're like, next, uh, next. You know, I think that what we're talking about here, which is very inside, uh, is yeah. also really globally describing the queer experience. Like, it's the same thing with relationships. So, you know, we don't get to um, have this template that we know we have to pursue. And we're like, one person looks like this and one person looks like this. And then you have this kind of house and this kind of job. And right. we don't have to have that template. And like, that's really confusing. It's a lot of work to figure out your life without that. But um, I also think that it's a really great gift to be able to pursue your own happiness. And people with a template don't get to do that. No, totally. I, I took some some left turns um, to be more queer throughout my life. And those have all been the correct direction every time that I've gone that way. You know, What does that mean? Well, so I, I just grew up, um, you know, I, 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 I compensated for lack of... Um, um, uh, confidence and or having fun like a normal child with groups of friends uh, by overachieving in education and things. And so I kept moving in that direction. And, and it was very, very easy for me to make adults like me. Uh, so like throughout my childhood, like I, I was perceived as the kid who was going places because the adults thought so. And I was getting all the grades in school. But there was a lot of inner turmoil going on in the background. But um, so I went to, you know, I, I went to a really good college and I did well at college. And then, you know, and, and, and before that, I was doing well in high school to do all of that. And I just um, that at least when I was when I was learning and I was doing things like that, at least I had I could like block some stuff out because there was a path that ends after college, you know, but like so there's a very clear path towards college. And then after college, it was like, do I keep leading in a direction where and I was already out by this point, but it was like, do I keep going in a direction that has just been this expected plan that I've been doing to like to pretend to feel normal or do I start making some choices for myself and so I I, I got out of like I was working in political campaigns at the time and where did you go to school I went to Dartmouth College sure yeah 
Very good school. Great school. Great school. Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, very uh, conservative and heteronormative. And then you moved where to work? Vegas. In politics. What a surprise. What a surprise. That is not what I thought you were going to say. No, 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 no. It was either uh, I had a choice of um, Iowa or Vegas. Wow. And at that point, after being in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, I was like, I'm going to Vegas. Vegas Amazing. vacation. And so and it was for Hillary Clinton. Much respect. Yeah, um, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. You can blow her all the kisses uh, you want. In 2008. Show. So back the, the first campaign. And um, we did great there. And um, actually, my boss and roommate became the campaign manager this time around, Robbie Mook, another interesting, very interesting queer fellow who you should have on this show. Oh, great. Um, but I didn't want to keep doing it anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was done. Um, and I needed a break from uh, education and s smart people all doing the same thing. So I moved to San Francisco. Uh, I thought in my head I wanted to do comedy and got a weird job working in a porn company. Because San Francisco, why not? And also, it was a it was like a clear decision to not be able to go back. How old were you? Twenty three. Okay. And I went in for this inter job interview at this porn company, and ended up getting into a fight with the uh, owner and boss of the place, and then left it being like, I want that job, I want that fucking job. Like he can't tell me that I'm just a dumb kid. I'll show him. And then like he, I ended up getting the job, and it was like very. Um, eye-opening uh, sure a porn company in San Francisco gay where porn did you, company where did, what did you do for them uh, a lot of behind the scenes stuff I was basically his assistant um, and so I was doing um, a lot of like office work but then there was a lot of like I mean I don't this is not the 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 venue for some of the most descriptive stuff but like my my eyes were open to uh, sexuality not just male sexuality and not just gay sexuality just uh, like the idea of what sexuality could be um, and what it could be um, and how it could uh, um, be joyful even for the people in it and like um, like transcendent slash cultish for the people who are receiving it, especially with this company, which was kind of like pushing that kind of like. Oh, um, wow. It was it's 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 a complicated place. Porn is a very complicated industry. Uh huh. Um, and I was only in it for a very brief period of time, like less than a year. Uh, but I learned more in that time about the world, I think, than in years of college. What about, I'm just curious, and also I don't know if it's public knowledge where you worked, so you don't have to tell me if this answer would yeah, like, blow anybody's spot up. I can probably say it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm just curious about like behind the scenes um, like safety stuff. What did you see going on behind the scenes for the performers? Safety stuff meaning like sex safety, meaning like condoms, meaning like mm, I mean, sometimes drugs, I think condoms, like... sometimes I think drugs, sometimes I think like emotional safety. Like, did you think they were doing okay? Yes. These people in particular, in a, in a lot of ways, because um, so this is where it gets a little bit problematic. Because I know sometimes sometimes you just can't tell. You know, like you're, you're consuming totally. porn and you hope that you're doing it responsibly. Totally. And so I guess what I'm asking is like, what was your experience? And then like, do you have any thoughts on how you could tell? Besides, like, researching the company? Talking to the people. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> so, okay, go through so, the internet, so, well, talk to the people. Well, no, no yeah. but... Uh, oh, you mean, like, researching it to watch it, which what is less problematic, yeah, like, porn to watch? Well, I just, I like... I see what you're saying. As a consumer of porn... Yeah, 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 and, yeah. A, and, like, an advocate of using porn to understand our sexuality, like, uh -huh. I think it's a healthy, Bingo. rad thing yeah. to understand our sexuality. Yeah. Um, and so, because I'm into that aspect of it it's like yeah. sucks that i also know that it's a troubling industry like just like every industry but you know what i mean because you're like oh yay yeah like i didn't get sex ed in school no, i look at this and barely. i go this yeah. is fucking cool this is a way that we can talk about this like primal need that we all fucking have and yeah. we can like look at bodies and 
maybe accept ourselves or, you know, like whatever are the positive aspects that yeah. porn can can bring into our lives. And then I feel like I just unfortunately know about the other stuff. No, I get it. And I get it. I feel like if it's coming from San Francisco or Portland, it's good. <laughs> That's a great answer. I really you know? like that answer. Uh, and I think that um, um, I and I and I won't paint too broad a, a brush, but gay porn and straight porn are different. And um, there is a um, power dynamic within gay porn, no, within straight porn that is, uh, there's power dynamic in every porn, there's power dynamic in everything, but, uh, or like, you know, skewed power dynamics and everything. But in, in straight, in, in, in straight porn, there's just a, um, I don't know, I honestly don't know, I'm, I'm about to like, say like I know something, but what I, w what I perceive is, and from the people that I was working with, is they were being fulfilled sexually through it. Oh, that's good. And that was um, that was really interesting to me and eye opening to me. It was a bit more mature, you know, and it was and it was like this. This place is like kind of ethos was like documenting male sexuality more so than it was like putting up a story based porn film for like you know kitsch value. Then to throw on top of that kind of like sterilized version of like gay sex, you know. And I think that he, um, the guy who runs his company, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think that. Um, um, a lot of like when we say porn can be so um, uh, eye-opening and liberating, it can do two things. One, it can um, give you a sterilized view of sex, and two, it can give you a um, a uh, like this weird uh, for straight guys too. I think this weird like aggressive um, sexuality where all fantasies should come true at all time kind of idea, and that's that's where it's problematic for me. Um, but and when it when going back to the the question also of safety, so this is where this porn company was complicated. It was kind of the first company to kind of push um, condomless porn for the gay community because after the AIDS crisis, that was mandated that it could not be, and so he started pushing the boundaries. And the reason was was because there's life, there's sexual life after HIV. Their sexual life after becoming HIV positive, and that was something that people did not want to talk about, and that's something that wanted, people wanted. So it was mandated if it was if it was an HIV positive couple, and they were going to have sex on film, they had to use protection in a way that they would never do in their real lives, and so then you're not showing reality. And you're showing that we, there still needs to be concerned. And then, like, you know, people will, well, what about super infection and things like that? It's not really a concern of a lot of people. There are some documented cases of it. Sure, other STDs on top of that are um, concerning. And that is um, an issue. But again, let's take it back just to a couple who wants to put their sex on film why can't they do it the way that they want to do it? And so that he kind of started doing that and it kind of blew things up for a while because people were scared because people are scared of gay men sex. And, you know, this will um, I'm going to weave a couple of things in here. But this goes back to what I'm doing as a gay HIV positive comic. Um, HIV is in a grand form, looked at in a problematic way, the consequence of the sin. Right. You know? And so so to be proud of that is to really kind of dismantle a structure of thought that is in place to keep us paying with shame and stigma for our sin. And so, 
you know, that's where the light place I'm bringing my comedy from. No, I, first of all, um, I like straight up, I like think I know what company you're talking about because Probably. I am like, uh, well, I won't even get to, we can talk after, but sure. I you know, I have some like friends it, who work there. It's Treasure Island Media is yeah. the company that it is. Yeah. I totally know the company you're okay. talking about. Yeah. Um, and, right. So, the evolution of our understanding of HIV and our understanding of AIDS is like HIV is AIDS, right? Like right. that's the that's the first uh, thing that I still still think most people yep. believe. Um, and also, you know, I do think it's the thing of like it's the sin, and it's also the. I think we're supposed to feel really ashamed when we bring something on our when we bring something into our life that didn't need to be there. Right. Like I think that that as people like that I think is sort of, sort of supposed to be like our eternal worst thing. Yeah. You know, like you did something and you brought something into you invited this person into your home. Yeah. And that I mean that's that's why we talk about sexual assault the way that we do. The worst thing that you could do is invite onto yourself. Yeah. Something that was didn't have to happen totally to and so so homosexuality is the sin gay male right. sex is the sin right hiv is the consequence right and especially in my generation we were supposed to know better right you know like we had the education we were told we like like the the people were no longer dying in the same way that they were but it was still out there and you were supposed to be wary of it and only only the dumb bad boy ones got still got it you know so i then had to like but but you know i talk about this in my act where it's like i didn't do anything that was different from what straight people do all of the time i went out and i had irresponsible sex after a night of drinking you know like straight people do that all of the time the consequences are different and um my joke goes a little bit harder um but but um to say you know to compare certain consequences and how we can't i can't get rid of my consequence you know but so i have to live with that and the the living with that and and you know i actually do want to so i i'm i'm making a joke about abortion you know and that um it didn't dawn on me until recently that that hit women in a way that kind of triggered shame who had had abortions in a way. And so I've actually reevaluated how I tell that joke in a lot of ways because the intention is not to like diminish that sort of um that sort of uh stigma that 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 a lot of people have, but the intention of it is to be like don't judge me harsher than anyone else's judge. Like we're all judged for a sex crime, but mine should not be judged just because the consequences are scarier in your mind. I mean, I think that uh yeah, I mean the way that women are treated about abortion, I bet I bet it's like not dissimilar. I mean in in that um it's brought up all the time in the public sphere. Yeah. W- with only one way that it can be talked about in public discourse, which is negatively. Yes. And if it's something that you have personal experience with, there is never the moment where you can say eh, like actually me. Yeah. Um I think that like that used to be something that you could say about being gay, you know, like that there would never be the. But that's not fucking true anymore. Like there, there might be a moment, but like for for like you're saying these sort of like, I mean, 
sex crimes is what I'm saying, but it's Th- not that, me my, saying my this. My words and I was yeah. putting hyperbole yeah, on yeah, top yeah, of yeah. what it was. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like that sort of public perception, which is like, it's supposed to be something that nobody has experience with. Right. But that being said, if we look at the statistics, it's like many people have experience with this. So it's one of those topics that talked that's talked about even amongst comics. Like the number of jokes that I have heard people tell. Yeah. And I know you've heard these same jokes where people assume, well, this doesn't affect anybody in the room. Right. Right. And then. And that's the like default. That, and it's like you know, and I you know, it's like there there are a lot of jokes like that. There are rape jokes. There are abortion jokes. There are um, like the fact that any male with any sort of perception of the way the world works within their head, especially within the comedy community, can get up there and say a rape joke, a rape joke without like thinking about like what the actual consequences are, make me like absolutely insane. Well, the, here's the statistics that I can never get over. It's like sometimes people will go. Um, maybe somebody in the audience has been affected by this. Number one, straight up, <laughs> many people in the audience. Yeah. Also, statistically, if you have um, other people on the show with you, like let's just say it's not just you, uh, there's somebody else in the lineup totally. who has personal experience with that. Totally. In fact, if I'm in the lineup with you, I've had personal experience with that. And, and I feel like that's something that, like, again, this is one of those topics that's like, it's a perennial joke. Right. It's a perennial punchline right. because it doesn't really happen to anybody. Well, that's it. and it's just like you know, like okay, for a lot of comics, the Holocaust is still funny. You know, <laughs> right. it's a it's a it's it's a quick association with something terrible, and the oh, you transgressed, you said the bad thing, and you move on to that. The issue and the difference is is that is like like rape is the Holocaust that is continuing to happen. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. You know what? It can be funny. It can be funny to talk about rape. It can be funny to talk about uh, HIV. Yes, I would love for for like. What if it was just the people who actually had this experience who got to talk about it? Right. That's why it's so great that you're talking about this. Because Thanks. if it's not you, it doesn't mean that the, the topic goes away. Yeah. It doesn't mean people aren't talking about HIV. It just means that it's some some fuckhead who is using it as a cheap laugh. Yeah. So if you are talking about it, then thank you. Like, you're making it have weight. The, like, here, so here's something that happened to me recently, and I'm not going to say any names, but, uh, and it's happened several times, and this is where it's a little bit different and why I'm still like, oh, fuck, like, this is hard, is because though I did all this material at a show, it did not go super well, and um, um, I got off the stage, I like didn't lose my. It was a big show, whatever. There are a lot of comic. There are a lot of like famous comics on it, and I was like, okay, like you know, for me at my level, I was like, I need to hit. This is the one that needs to hit. But I wasn't like, like I wasn't like, like nervous with added pressure. I was just like, this needs to go well. And it's just from the get go, it did not go well. And I started with a stupid Dolce and Gabbana joke that no one understood. And so I, um, but then I moved into my material, and by the end of it, it was like, okay, everyone's happy. I'm done. Great. And then I walked on stage. <laughs> Next comic comes up after the host, who I adore. The next comic comes up and was like, uh, "Does anyone have got any Lysol for the mic? What's the protocol for this?" Like that, like, like talking about my HIV. The biggest joke it, that happened the night involving me was someone making fun of my status. Did that go well? Did that go yeah. over well? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so maybe I was like. Not uh, not going to win that crowd over in the beginning if that's the kind of humor that they were enjoying. Whatever. And here's an, another thing. If I had killed and he had done that, I wouldn't have equally as um, 
I wouldn't have felt as bad because I just like I retreated so quick into myself after that. And like I just like when a comic, you know, again, when a comic I, does that to you, oh my God. there's no reason for it. And like you can tell if like he knew I didn't have a good set, you know, and he needed a cheap laugh at my expense. And so to kind of equate it to like an abortion joke, I hope that no one would like, you know, I'm strong enough that I can handle that, you know, but like I hope with some like people think about that, like people are being very vulnerable on stage and it's not easy. And so and a a comic should know better, you know? And so, like, I don't, have you ever, heard, like, done a sexual assault joke and then have a comic go up and be like, make fun of it, you know? I've done, I have, n- no, because it's something I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about on stage, yeah. number one. Yeah. Uh, it's something I have been trying to figure out. And also, I said assault, and I don't know the story at all. I used No, 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 said, this okay. is great. You're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing great. Okay. This is great. Everything's great. Um, but I have been brought up Literally the worst introduction I ever got (laughs) was one time somebody, I swear to God this happened to me, somebody said, we're really glad this next comic isn't raped and dead in an alley, Cameron Esposito. Jeez Louise. And that is what it's like being a woman in comedy. Yeah. You know how sometimes people are like, is it really different? Take a joke. (laughs) Like, um, and then I, but, but like, I mean, that's obviously a really extreme example. I will say something that has happened a lot more frequently is um and it hurts in a way that i imagine that lice old joke hurt uh thing happened like must have been last summer to i don't know when it was last summer maybe i was playing to um forty thousand people was that was are that you ready like the shoreline or something like that where were you <laughs> i love it some big i can't even really say where it was okay. because i don't want to throw this other comic under the bus but uh that was a huge show for me i'm not this is. I'm not going to say <laughs> that I am somebody I, no, yeah, who plays it. like forty thousand people regularly. No, what I'm saying I know your is career, that girl. Don't this you, uh, yeah. particular <laughs> night, I was playing to forty thousand people, uh-huh. and the comic who went up in, in front of me used the f word, um, the gay f word, yeah. uh, multiple times to talk about people perceiving him as that, based on like how he parked his car. And this is a straight person, mm-hmm. and. The way that I heard the audience laughing, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. And I was the next comic up. Um, And so I knew, like, I knew going out there, there's no, this yeah. is not. Because it was so cruel. And it was so like, well, we're all waiting for, we're all waiting for somebody to say it. And then I like, I came out tiny leather jacket being like here are my jokes about being married and um i mean i ate i ate so much shit and i ate shit in front of forty thousand people did you get in your head or like was it a combination of like them not being receptive and them then giving him giving them license to to the him giving their worst impulses license and then but plus that puts you in a headspace where you're just like i should be better than this no i literally was like i have to quit comedy i mean the the thing was is that the next night i was playing a similar size venue and so i called ria my wife i like called her and was like i think i have to quit stand-up comedy and but i had this next show i had to do so i was like i mean i will um i will do tomorrow night's show and i will say i did something that i was like really shocked that i did um i asked i pulled the guy aside he wasn't somebody i knew Uh, but he was being friendly yeah um and i asked him if he would consider not using that word before i went on stage because i was just like i don't know if you realize but it does a thing to the audience. Yeah. And when you use it that much so 
before I got on stage. And here's the thing, straight up, you should you have to do whatever you want, right? Because you are in charge of your set. But I'm just asking you as a comic to another comic if you would consider. Oh, let me go first. Doing other material, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he went like, "Oh yeah, no problem." Uh, yeah. And like it was like no, like he was like, "Oh yeah, of course." So then he didn't do that, and then I came out and crushed, and then I got in my rental car and drove to Akron, Ohio, which is where Rio was at the time. Like I just like needed just that set, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I like literally went like like I walked off stage. My car keys were backstage. I grabbed my car keys and I drove six hours. And that's awesome. And I bet you got a big paycheck, which in the end also is like, yeah, I see. You know, like I, you can power. Oh, I don't yeah, even mean it that so way, but you know what I mean. Humiliating. Oh my oh, god. Oh, of course. And like, and also in this day and age, like, oh, Cameron, forty thousand people hit the blogs or whatever, you know. And oh like, my god, it was fucking the. Who's this f lady f word comic? You know. I literally did get tweets like, I bet this is this is the least funny person I've ever seen in my entire life. I want to like <laughs> hit my head on the microphone. And it is that thing, and it's like one you should like, like you know. Um, How did you deal with the lace all situation? You have to tell me before I, I just to add. so like I I didn't talk to him because I was like it was it was his it was it was not my crowd you know and I didn't have any allies there and I didn't have any like friends I had one one friend who was there and she just was like you hate him now don't you and I was like yeah um, and the other thing is I his comedy's good I don't I'm not it's it's not him every and everyone makes a stupid mistake it, like you know we all say stupid things he took a chance he wasn't thinking you know and and um, he didn't sabotage my next experience like like he 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 didn't he didn't set me up for failure he was just um capitalizing on my failure which is different from your your perspective where that person was 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 helping was hurting your chances of success you know like i would never have said anything if it wasn't you felt gonna it. be the same lineup the next night totally 100 percent. you know and also comics male straight comics feeling like they can use the F word for gay people because they were called it in high school. That like justification needs to stop too. Like, do you hear that a lot? I've heard that yes. a lot. Yes. I mean, did you see the fire in my yeah, eyes? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, there are comics who I who, I, who are friends me... of mine and I know and they do and we've talked about it, but like it always kind of pops up and it's like the difference was when you went home, you weren't one. <laughs> yes, I know. And also like, I mean, number one, that is straight up the one thing that I always say. And yeah. then there's and then the second thing I say is way more fucking intense. Uh, number one, I like literally just say this to Rhea slash wrote it into our yeah. television show, Take Me Away. Would you like to hear the second thing that I say, which is like the most intense thing you could possibly, possibly yes. say? Uh, I don't use words that don't apply to me that were the last thing somebody heard while they were being beaten to that's death. my that is what I say. That's what I say, too. If you can if you can if you can say it with the intensity of having someone being kicked on the ground with it you know like and not even the intensity i mean like that word which is yeah. used to do that kind of stuff right. then then don't do it you right. know um especially in a public forum you know and yeah. I, I don't even mean like you know don't say it behind like you know but you can get away with things with your friends that you all everyone knows the intention you know and i'm not i'm not justifying it i'm just saying that's different from like on a stage where you don't know everyone's intentions you don't know what how they're going to receive something you know and i could go on and on about donald trump <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like the great, the great pinnacle of just like um, toxic masculinity's uh, uh, thought process at all times, having no sense that any that the words that you are using are actually affecting all these people. And when you have the biggest platform, forty thousand people is a big fucking platform, you know. But, but like right. the world is a bigger fucking. Platform. It's a bigger platform, and it's just like you know, um, um, I, uh, I, I he's he's the world's 
he's the world's best hack comic. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Like that's 100%. what he is. That's what he is because it's the same mentality of just like, I'm funny with my friends because I say offensive things and they like it. So I'm just going to keep doing it, you know? And then, you know, it's just, it's crazy. To me. And it's you know, the thing me. is, is also like, I think I love that we're having this conversation because there's no part of me that is thin skinned about this. And I feel like that's how, this is like misrepresented censorship. First of all, it's not censorship if you're at work. Uh-huh. Like straight up, you are at work, you know? Yep. Um, and also number two, like this isn't being, th- it's not being thin skinned to understand that the world is bigger than you. You know, when I talk about like that is who I imagine that person getting kicked in the head on the ground mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. I hear somebody throw that word around flippantly in a spiteful way like that's who i imagine and if that's not who you imagine like how has that association not happened for you number one and number two like it should like yeah. open your heart to the fact that this yeah. well, you know, like, I, mean, I don't know i mean i think it's about fucking being tough to be like shut the fuck up i think that's tough i think it's i think it's super tough and i think it's i don't think it's wrong anything at all and i think um, not to get too political again on it, but like it's the whole idea of like identity politics and being identity politics being blamed for some sort of like great liberal downfall, some sort of like rise of like uh, you know so, some some defeat of uh, of uh, uh, this grand way. It's like no, the whole first of all, the grand way was including all of us in our voices. Also, one. everything is identity politics, and two, <laughs> everything is identity politics, and three. By blaming us, you're victim shaming us, you know, and so that like that's what that gets super problematic. It's just like just shut up about it and move on just like everyone else because we have bigger battles to fight. And it's like your bigger battles are our battles are all our one big battle is all the same. And that is like, you know, it, no one's free until yeah. we're all free. Also, like, like yeah. y- your big battle that you're saying that is your it's based on your identity. Like, yeah. no, it is bonkers to act as if being straight white. And cis and male yeah. isn't an identity. Like that's what Donald right. Trump's fighting for, and that's who he is. And and on top of that, um, identity politics being used in a derisive way is a substitute for fucking civil rights, man. That's what they mean. Yes. Shut up about your civil rights. Yes. And the other thing is that they, you know, civil rights don't stop. And oh no, there are new groups that need to be protected. All of a sudden, you, just because you never saw, <laughs> just because you didn't know they existed, didn't mean they weren't existing in their needing of the rights. And um, that's, and I hate to say it, I'm worried about the gay white male uh, future when it comes to uh, being a part of that action. You know, mm-hmm. because there is, uh, there are conservative impulses, there are racist impulses, there are misogynist impulses. Um, and I would, I don't impulse overtones in a lot of ways. Um, from this section of the community in a lot of ways. And I've I've been fearing that, like, um, I've just been fearing to see what that looks like, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, after marriage for a lot of gay white men, that was, that was the thing. The fact that you are seeing that is really positive. It's real. And if you're seeing it, then it means that there could be other gay white dudes that see it. And oh, there I are. think you have to keep talking about it because I totally agree with you that, yeah. like, it is possible once you have affluence... And not that all white gay men do, but since some do, totally. it's really easy to slam the door. And every gay white male is just trying to get that privilege that they lost when not they sure. were when they came out as gay. You know, like they were, everyone were there because we were so close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were so close. Um, yeah. And so yeah. you're, and I think that is a struggle. And I think that if you if you lose. 
um, that empathy. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm, I, I am totally fine and happy and secure in my HIV positive status. Proud of it is something that I still think I need room to grow into, you know? But I will say what it did do was after I had kind of climbed myself out of the well of the closet, the sexuality closet, you know, and I climbed to the top of that and felt strong um, pretty quickly after. Like I came out at 19 and I was positive by the time I was 24. Um, and I was only out of college and super secure in that for like a, a little while and not even super secure. I'm still a kid, you know, like I'm still like figuring it out, but it feeling very good. I fell back into another deep, dark well of a closet that I had to make a decision if I was just going to stay down there or if I was going to climb my fucking way back up to the top. But by the top of that second one, I had all sorts of new muscles too, you know, to pull from and emotional strengths to pull from and a second, not a deeper well of empathy for what people were going through that I never even expected. I mean, when I first found out that I was positive, I had been in an Ivy League. I was in an Ivy League school and I was working for Hillary Clinton. I gave up a job. I gave up a job opportunity to go on tour with the kids in the hall, my comedy idols, um, because I had met them and I'd worked with their manager. And he was like, if you want to come on tour with us, maybe there's room for it. I got this job in porn. The tour manager was like, hey, do you want to come with us? And I was like, no, I got this great new job. I'm doing what I want to do now. And he was like, are you fucking <laughs> and then eight months later that job was gone and um I, I was completely broke and i was hiv positive and i felt done and i was like how did i get here so quick and then i was going into the i didn't have health insurance at the time too and because it was like you know you couldn't stay on your parents health insurance then longer i was out of a job um san francisco is great is a blessing and a curse for gay men because it's the easiest place to get it in America, probably, and uh, for a gay man at least, and then uh, through sex. Um, and but it's also like the support structure is so strong. So there was a support structure, but that support structure is um, you know very low level socialized healthcare. And so I'm like fancy boy Casey is sitting in these waiting rooms with uh, people who have who are clearly riddled with drug addiction, you know, who the, it's all an HIV clinic. And so that's just a cross section of um, of poor people, you know, because there's better available health care for people with bigger advantages. But at that time, I'm, I was as, I was as poor as you can get. You know, I mean, my privilege was still intact. I could have told my parents. I didn't want to tell my parents. So I couldn't use them as a resource. And so I find myself here surrounded. And I'm like, how did I get here? But instead of being like, I want to get away from these people, I was like, these are my people, <laughs> you know? And I didn't, and I kind of saw it that way. And so from that, I got, you know, I really, I mean, again, I see the world from that perspective as no matter where you are, you can, you can find yourself in a place real quick that you absolutely had no idea that you could be. You didn't fathom and, and it would have scared the shit out of you thinking about it five years ago. And it would have been like, I'll never, that'll never happen to me. And then you're there. And if you don't use it. And you get and you lose yourself in that and you get angry or you get, you know, like, which is super easy to do. And I was angry and I was angry at myself. But like I saw I didn't see what any I didn't see anyone's decisions to be in that room as like worse than mine or better than mine. I just saw us all there. And I was like, OK, like I got to see I got to I got to take that with me at least. You know? Yes, that that last thing. You didn't see anybody else's decisions to be in that room as worse than yours. I love uh, what you're saying about this because. 
you know, I think that, again, that is when it becomes the moment that it becomes easy to, to close the door is when you don't feel that the people on the other side of that door are your family. Mm. And I don't just mean like, I mean, number one, you can feel that way about the human race. <laughs> you feel that way about people that live in this country. Uh, you can feel that way about LGBT folks. Like you can feel like that's your family um, or that you have family who are other people who are positive that have been through that shit and yeah. sitting there um, and scared out of their minds with you. Like I, I think that that's how we stay connect, grounded and like uh, that's literally like the only way that our lives stay valuable is if we just feel like we have a network that we can go to um, for support and that we also need to protect. And so I think... I mean, dude, I don't know. This has been such a great conversation, and I'm so, I'm going to look in your eyes and say, even recorded, I, you, such great things are going to happen for you. Because okay. this is, like, straight up, dude, if this is where you're coming from, like, I know how it feels, man. I know how it fucking feels. I feel this way every day where you're just like, what is this? Is this fucking anything? Yeah. <laughs> like, am I, do I have anything to say, but, um, like, that people are going to, like, how do I write this thing? And I know you... I mean, I hope you know it a little bit. Do you know it a little bit? Uh, there is the part of me, and this goes back to what I was saying about the confidence thing being my 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 lingering like to me, like my lack of confidence is a bigger issue in my life um, <laughs> than my HIV. You know, yeah. and I and I think that I, I I'm I'm still cl climbing that like like emotionally emotional confidence is really good. It really is the just like the like believing in my abilities that's where that's where i haven't like checked off the the things i need to do but um yeah i can allow myself to see it because when i connect and I, when i'm having fun and i connect i'm like really good and i and i um i gotta allow myself to believe it this things like this go a long way i was ready to quit after that lysol thing and this was recent. I'm going to give you like a little <laughs> hand squeeze because really fucking were you, dude? I, Fuck. I get it. It was so bad. And it was and, and the, the crowd was um, the crowds that I will be performing for the rest of my life. Like it was an L.A. club, but an L.A. club is still a club. And it was um, straight um, and it was a mix of black and white. Um, there were a bunch of um, um, it was mostly straight men, you know, and a couple of women and then me. And I was like, interesting lineup choice. Um, but, uh, I'm ready to do anything, but it just, it went so bad that I was like, why am I doing this for you? And I honestly felt stigmatized and I felt like they were, um, they were not receptive because I was so comfortable with it. They wanted those consequences that I was talking. They wanted me to at least accept that and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and, and show them that, you know? And so, and I was like, why am I doing this for them? And who am I doing this for? But that is so then I think about quitting once a month, but, um, but that's also our story. What you're talking about there, this thing of like, let me show you how awful it is for people outside of the community. When you're not having like an in-group conversation, that is also a framework that has pre been presented for who we are as a community. Like, think about the stories that are peddled. I mean, I think that transparent is a pretty overall like po positive, like nobody's, um, constantly dying like all the characters aren't constantly dying off from from their own right. actions um but i think like so many shows and so many queer characters and in books literally fucking everywhere man um we are the we're brought into pedal tragedy yeah like that's what we're for we're like the best friend that didn't fucking make it yeah and what i'm saying is that like this is a new moment and we that's why I believe in this project right now. That's why this is the dream project that it. I've been yeah. trying to do is because like that's not that's not what we know to be true. And I think that 
Um, the marketplace is ready for it. But also, like, fucking people that would just come see you at a show are ready for it. Like, yeah. that audience, like, that's not who you're going to be playing I'm, for for the rest of your life. That. I it is. That. It is. And it also isn't because there are going to be moments that people fucking come out and they're like, dude, thank you because I am positive myself or I'm not positive, but you're cool. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean. And I, and I get the, I get people coming and t- telling me their story and that that yes. they needed to hear me talk about it in the way that I did. That feels amazing. And um, other people telling me, I know every comic with an STD now. <laughs> <laughs> every LA comic <laughs> has told me their story, especially yeah. if it's one that lingers. Um, so I know that. <laughs> um, and and all of that feels really good. And I think that I got it. And, and, I, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not so fucking altruistic that I'm like, I do it for that one person in the crowd. No, I do it. Because I have the drive to make it's okay to have crowds, both. yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, crowds like you know I want to kill in front of crowds. I don't want to play for that one person in the back, you know. But I love when they come and tell me. And some people tell me intense stories, and there's that connection. <laughs> I did have this moment recently where uh, Laura Keitlinger, who has been a comic idol of mine for a long time, unbelievable person. We did a show together. I went on before her, did all of the material, and then someone came up to me and started telling me their story, and it was like an intense story. She uh, simultaneously started talking to me about me and what I did and how great it was and all this stuff. And I was like, I am really sorry, but I just need to hear her say this right now to the kid who was like tears in his eyes. And so I was like, oh my God, because you're crazy. Like, but I, you know, and so that's the reality though is I need, I needed, I need that validation to be able to have the strength to do the stuff for those people in the crowds, you know? Yeah. And so that's like, that's where my career is right now. I think like, you're going to get both of those things. Thanks. I think you're going to get what you want. Thanks. And I understand why you want it because we share that. Yeah. I mean, this is not, you can be as altruistic a person as is possible. But at the end of the day, if you, I mean, this isn't the kind of work that you would do if you didn't also need to do the fucking job, like to, like to love it and yeah. to love making people laugh and to love having people listen to you yeah like of course you just you just go work at like a nonprofit. yeah which you can which is which you can do but i just mean and one should do one should do um you know guy guy branham who is a a queer comic and a friend and um he said something at the end of one show that was fine and good um and he he said guy is the best because he's not gonna be like great set or whatever he's gonna be like the all he said he looked at my eyes and goes it's hard being the first and so that you know, that sticks with me. It's like there's going to be those. I'm going to walk into that. I'm going to walk into a lot of like walls. Um, but, you know, hopefully I can have a hammerhead that can knock down some of them. It's going to be it's going to be big. Cool. I can tell you already, friend. I like you. Oh, mm. uh, I can tell you already. <laughs> um, Casey, this has been such a great chat. Thanks. And yeah, you too. thank you for just I just loved it. Thank you for driving in so that we can have this conversation. Well, I literally <laughs> hadn't said a word to anyone in six hours. So if I had just talked and talked and talked and talked. Oh, it was a dream come energy. true. Okay, it was great. a dream come true. Go, go, go. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you about a queero of yours. So like person or an organization or a place that made you feel confident and strong in the person that you are. Yeah, I um, have. There are many and um, some are. Uh, there are many, and I, when I first heard it, I was like, "Oh, do I get to talk about Gore Vidal?" Because I, <laughs> I was like, "But that didn't count because it's more personal to me." Uh, my uncle David is um, gay and HIV positive, and has been for years, 
and um, was the first, f- the second family me- member that I came out to, but because um, I needed, I needed one before the big talk because I knew we were going to talk because he's a talker, and he has, he has that empathy in spades that we were talking about, um, and that's through years of of being um, an advocate and an activist and a thinker and a supporter um, of other queer people, and he also became positive and he was he he for years was assumed he was going to die and he just didn't and he survived and he got it was there were really low times but he always kind of fought back and so just the like the the dueling um the the dueling characteristics of empathy and strength are something that i like when i think about him that's what i receive and i i just i love him forever for that even if we don't talk enough, David, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, what a great, that's perfect. I mean, yeah. like, what a great person to yeah. know and have in he's your life. He's wonderful. And he's from Chicago. He knows your comedy. Oh, shit. Yeah, Well, what's up, David? Yeah. <laughs> um, Casey, thank you so much for being in. Oh, and is there anything that you want to plug on oh, our yeah. show? I would love to plug, actually, my podcast. Sorry to do, yeah. do no, that. Yeah, no, what is it? It's called The Gay Power Half Hour. Um, it's a half hour, very comedy based. It's with uh, my co-host Tony Soto, who is a drag queen and comic, also from Chicago, who is now living in Los Angeles, and he's my best friend here. And we have a very snappy, very fun, issue based but personal based, um, thirty minute gay podcast. Gay power half hour. Gay power half hour. Awesome. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Casey. listeners that's our show please remember to rate and review us on itunes you can follow me on twitter at cameron esposito we are recorded by matt brousseau produced by sierra Catow and feral audio our theme song is by aw and you can find them at listen to aw.com thanks for listening to query Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Fake nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. Ah! Jesus! I mean, (laughs) Jazos! Ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.